Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with actor Andrew Gower. Well, he's not just an actor. I should also point this out that um, he's got an amazing band called Gustafsson and, and they're about to release their their first EP. And, and, and we, we talk about this um, with, with Andrew, obviously, uh, towards the sort of tail end of the podcast. And, and some of the people that have been involved in that project, uh, it's, it's, it's incredible. And uh, But... Don't rush to that bit because there's loads of good stuff beforehand. Uh, we talk all about him growing up in Liverpool um, and, and deciding to to maybe not pursue uh, a career as a as a footballer and, and move into the arts. And it's it's a lovely, lovely chat, and I can't wait for you to hear it. He's he's he's, he's a lovely, lovely human being. He's, he's Andrew, and like like you know, like so many of these chats, like I, I press stop on the interview. And then we sit there chewing the fat and having a, a chat about all other bits and pieces afterwards. And it's it's so lovely to kind of get that that time with these you know wonderful creative people that you know you know just acting is is such a difficult and demanding and, and, and competitive industry and as is music. So to be able to kind of explore both of those things like wonderful and must be so difficult to sort of you know manage your time to be able to pursue uh and enjoy and create you know in 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 all of these different sorts of fields so yeah anyway before we get on with this wonderful chat uh, a few thank yous so i'd like to thank uh the people at epilogue i'd like to thank scroobius pip and everyone at the distraction pieces podcast um some amazing podcasts over there so go check them out uh and i'd like to thank mr 76 for producing this podcast and always the biggest thanks go to you lot for listening supporting and just being bloody nice if you have just joined the podcast for the first time this is your your, your debut listen hello come in you're very welcome take shoes off cheers uh what i will say is you've turned up to the party it's not even fashionably late you're just really late because i'm like well over 400 episodes now so when you get to the end of this delightful chat with andrew go check out the back catalogue because if you like your actors talking about music you can hear me talking to michael smiley thomas turgus who else? Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, Amanda Abington. Um, gosh, loads, loads of wonderful acting talent. You know, musicians like the Foo Fighters, the Killers, Idols, Motley Crue, uh, DJs and producers such as Butch Vig, Darren Emerson, Fatboy Slim. Um, oh, God, who else? Paul Oakenfold. Yeah, it's... Uh, it's got a big old back catalogue now, and I'm very, 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 very proud of it. So uh, go and explore it when you get to the end of today's Ace Chat with Andrew. And that's why you're here, so let's get on with it. Please enjoy it. Off the Beat and Track podcast with Andrew Gower. Sorry, ladies and gents, I've just got to jump in quickly and tell you that this podcast is proud to be in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. That's right. Hotel Chocolat, those people that make all the delicious chocolatey stuff, right? They have been my partner now for close to two years, and I can't thank them enough. Um, and the one way that I can kind of help them is by telling all you lot about what they're up to. You know all about the chocolate stuff because you, you go and get your chocolates from there. But some of you like a little tipple of booze, right? So if you do, you need to check out their velvetized cream range. So what they've done is they've got 
loads of all your favourite spirits, and then they've added their lovely chocolatey, magic-y stuff to it. So you can get like, uh, my favourite's the mint chocolate one. Go check out their mint chocolate velvetized cream because it is delicious. The salted caramel one will blow your socks off as well. There's loads. You need to go and check out uh, the alcohol range that um, Hotel Chocolat do. And I'm proud to tell you that this podcast is in partnership with Hotel Chocolat. Go check them out. But right now, get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Andrew, how are you today? I'm very good, thanks, Stu. How are you? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. I'm not bad. We're recording this the day after the, the hottest day of the year, and uh, and I'm talking about it like today's now Arctic. I mean, I'm still free. I'm still sorry, sweating like a maniac. Uh, it is still a hot one. And I know you've had a uh, a mad dash to get back here for this. So I appreciate uh, appreciate the effort, mate. I really do. Oh, no, I, I, it's it's worth the worth the running through Paddington to, to get back here. <laughs> I, I totally join you on. Um, on the the weather yesterday, literally. I mean, if it was yesterday and I was running through that, I don't think I'd have made it. But I'm so glad. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, look, Andrew, tell me a little bit um, before we get on the playlist. I always like to kind of because it's still so fresh in all of our minds. I'm fascinated to know how, how creatives coped uh, during lockdown. So just just give me a little sort of snapshot into how you found them surreal 18 months both 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 as as andrew you know human being and as 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 a creative yeah i think um i mean the first thing is is that i weirdly was chatting about this last night is i think a lot of creatives kind of go through this guilt of not working regardless of whether you know the injustice of not getting a job or whether you're not getting an audition or whatever it is this this guilt of not working and not doing what we what we love. Um, so actually, for the first time, oddly during COVID, that kind of guilt and the world kind of coming to a standstill was was taken away. And then it was the difficult thing of um, of kind of imagining when it was going to come back and how it was going to come back, and and seeing a lot of peers around who, um, you know, especially the theatre world. Uh, that that felt even more like a sort of dreamlike scenario of coming back. But anyway, yeah, I was speaking about the whole kind of how I felt during that and being we just bought this flat in in Walthamstow and I hadn't spent any time here at all and it was the big reset reset button and actually made me then go back. I was on a job, at, I was lucky I was on a job that we went on a hiatus and we went back one of the first sets back during COVID uh, carnival row that was over in Prague. And it was very much like it made me appreciate what I do even more. And I think to live in the moment more and, and really kind of try and remind myself of that. I mean, we're, we're still lucky to be on sets and be tested every day and, um, but try and remind myself of that experience because it was surreal because it was the first time since drama school that I'd ever just gone, okay, here we go. This is a Monday and I don't feel guilty on a Monday, you know? It is strange. I do think like, and also I found it really odd having that, that kind of time where, because when we first sort of fell into this situation, the sun was shining, uh, yeah. and it almost felt for you know for the first couple of weeks like a bit of a holiday. It was like, and I think as soon as we sort of, I think as humans we're so conditioned to thinking that there's no problem you know big enough in the world that we're not going to sort out in a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden it wasn't going away, and I think the the seriousness of it started to really sort of dawn on everyone. And it was like, oh shit, this is this is actually not going to be going anywhere for a long time. And I think at that point that's when I think kind of creatives can have that sort of knee-jerk reaction of like, right, oh, shit, uh, what can I do with what I've got at my disposal? And I'm going to do that at 100%, 100 miles an hour. And because you're so used to not having that kind of security of a of a PAYE nine-to-five job, like, and, and, you know, and uh, there's, there's pluses and minuses for both of those things. But I think if you choose to sort of, 
you know, tread a different path and want to sort of explore the more creative, you know, pastures, it does come with, you know, periods where you're not working. And I think, I don't know why I'm sort of going with this, I'm sort of losing my way a little bit, but I think yeah. I, I just felt like I had to, right, well, I'll do more podcasts and I'll, yeah. I'll do some radio shows and I'll, I'll do, and it was like, because... I, I run a nightclub, so like my, my club was one of the first things to shut and last things to reopen. So it was like, right, what can I do? And and I think creatives will always find things that they can sort of another plate to spin, if you know what I mean. I think you can dig deep and go, right, well, what have I got here? Okay, so I could do that. I could record that on there, and I could put that on there. And and I, I don't just think it was creatives. I think the whole world was looking at what they could do you know it was like right well i can't go to a party so let's have a party on this new thing called zoom do you know what i mean and yeah. uh yeah weird 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 times but so h- how did you find it sort of creatively like once you'd kind of sort of resigned yourself to the fact that okay look we're we're in this for the long haul now like what what am i going to do like how did you sort of sort of reset that that sort of mindset um i think I think oddly going back to what you were saying there, like what what else can I put my hand at? Almost made me think of okay, you know, being on some lucky enough to be on some shows that have money chucked at them and a lot of money at, at times chucked at them. But how much of it actually belongs to me? And acts and it made me think about okay, what? You know, not that we're doing a time capsule for twenty twenty two or twenty twenty one like we did at school or whatever. But it made me think what. What do, what am I about? What have I been doing for the past twelve years? And what I've, what yeah. So that was one big thing creatively. It, it really made me hone in on maybe gave me a chance to breathe and go. Okay, so where am where am I at? Like, what do I want to do? And this is where the music did come about as well. Like for the first time since I was sixteen, seventeen, I wanted to write music again, but but I had a real desire to sort of the things I've been collecting for things I've been writing whilst I've been away on travels and stuff. I was like, right, let's, let's do something with this. So that was one chat. That was one chat that did come out of it. And, and the thing of like having something that's maybe authentically my own words, as opposed to somebody else's words. Yeah. I think that big thing. Okay. Well, look, we, we, we've touched on music. So let's, Let's start the playlist. I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you, Andrew, for track one, please, to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please. Greatest ever intro. The one that I always go to, uh, English Man in New York by Sting and the Police. And it's, what is yeah. it that you like about that? What, what kind of drew you to that? Um, I always remember my dad telling me in the car it's about Quentin Crisp. Um, I think it's... I think it's cinematic it it always makes me smile it's so the song sort of becomes something else as well afterwards but yeah it's a song i listen to a lot and every time i hear it i just think it's a bit of musical genius and it always makes you think of um quentin crisp film um i just yeah i think it's an absolute beautiful beginning to a song i did not know that was about quentin crisp yeah yeah, and yeah, I, I, I forget the film. I should have made a note of the film. Oh, very famous film. People will tell me off when I'm not naming it on here. But uh, yeah, incredible, um, incredible song. And the and the beginning of it, it's just it's just orchestrated in such a beautiful way and um, and sets up the song perfectly. It's quite jazzy as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it's a sort of huge departure from from the police and the work that he was doing with them it was like uh and, and i think sort of he, you, you could tell with sort of sting's work in the in in the sort of you know mid to late 80s he really did sort of experiment and i think that song is one of the ones that i think was probably i might be wrong but i think that and fields of gold were probably his biggest solo hits but it is a beautiful record and, yeah. and now knowing that that's about quentin crisp a, of course it is. It makes total sense when you when you now think of it like. But it gives it even more weight now. Yeah, it does. And and I think, I think, but well, that's what I like about in music in general. I think now we're spoon fed a lot in, in and and the same with the same with films sometimes, and the same with you know theatre pieces that I see is like we almost 
they almost want to hit us with a hammer on the head and tell us exactly what it's about. And I love those, like, don't kill the mystery, I always say. It's like, yeah. let's have a bit of mystery behind the song. And it's so great how singing the police can present something like that. And then I'm just telling you now, oh, yeah, it's about Quentin Crisp. Yeah. And I was always fascinated with stuff like that as a kid, like when my dad used to say, oh, it's about this. Yeah. And I already liked the song beforehand. I already found it aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, but yeah it adds an extra layer to it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to take you back for track yeah. two. And I'm going to ask you, please, Andrew, to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please, mate. I mean, I'm, I'm pulling, out the, pulling out the big hitters today, songwriters. And that was uh, George Michael, Jesus to a Child. That'll do it, won't it? Uh, that'll do it. Uh, my dad, <laughs> my dad bought that track, bought um, the older track uh, album for my mom for her birthday. My mom wasn't into George Michael at all, um, and she's like, "Why the hell have you got me this CD?" Uh, and he was like, "Oh yeah, you love George Michael. I got you George Michael for your birthday." Anyway, he just kept it in his car. I don't know. He didn't want to buy it for himself. And again, that was another track that. It wasn't on. And again, the way he presents that song and the way the message behind it and what I found out it's about, I think, I mean, weirdly, you know, my, me and my brothers, when George Michael passed three, four Christmases ago, that hit us hard. And we're all, we're all, that's not really our go-to style of music. Mm. It's not, I mean, we're not, we, we don't all have George Michael. We, did, we had the doors up in our room. We had the Beatles. We had Green Day. Arctic Monkeys, you know, all rock and roll. But George Michael in our household is just a very well-respected songwriter. And, um, yeah, I've never seen my brothers as emotional yeah. when George Michael passed. Yeah, he, he was just an absolute dude. Like, oh. I, I, I think, you know, you see these things that have come out about him, you know, since his passing of, like, some of the absolutely beautiful things he's done for people that were you know, on their arse or whatever, you know, he would literally just be so generous. And and it's really weird as well when, you know, you have these sort of mythical rock stars like Keith Moon and, and Jim Morrison from the aforementioned Doors and things like that. George Michael was rock and roll as fuck. Like, you know, he drove a car into Snappy Snap, smashed. It's like that's the sort of thing that you'd expect from Jim Morrison or Keith Moon. Not the bloke from Wham! And like, and you just forget, like, all the stuff with the copper in the toilets in America. It's like, that's pure mad rock and roll stuff. And it's like, he never gets mentioned in the same kind of, you know, conversations of these big, rowdy rock and rollers. And it's like, George Michael really done some mad shit. And his journey, his journey to actually, to, to where he got, where he could write his own words. Yeah. Song Fast, like the song about the copper, you know, in the toilet being found. He then goes and writes Fast Love about that. Owns it, completely owns it. Owns it and does it, you know, and puts it out there, goes against his record company, goes against Sony for years. Some of the most rock and roll actions, as yeah. you said. But then he, at the same time, he's competing with, soul singers at the, at the Moby Awards and winning year in, year out. Yeah. He's a man of Greek descent. Yeah. And he's competing with some of the most soulful voices, you know, in the world. Um, and, uh, yeah, total, total, I think, underrated icon. And I couldn't believe it that, you know, me and my three, uh, me and my two brothers, the thing we all bond over is our love for George Michael and unashamedly so, you know. Um, it's, it's really weird. I don't know if you saw the, the, the documentary that came out about him not long after he'd passed with, with, with lots of sort of famous people on it. And and I was probably about 18 when Listen Without Prejudice come out. And and like most other sort of 14, 15-year-olds, when Wham! was doing their thing at school and all the girls fancied him, I was like, oh, this is rubbish. You know, I ain't in a Wham! Of course I liked Wham! The pop songs were so great, you couldn't. But like, you wouldn't want to be seen around your mates saying you like Wham! It was like, it was girls' music. But when Listen Without Prejudice come out, there was just a different weight to that. It was like, wow, this, this guy's some serious talent here. And I remember... Um, Waiting for the Day was the song that blew my mind. But on that documentary, I, I think it's Liam Gallagher puts on 
he's got the record player there and he puts on praying for time. Time, yeah. And yeah, he says, go. This is fucking imagine. And you and I listened to that record and I was like, that could have been on a John Lennon album. Yeah, really? it, it's a f- absolute fucking masterpiece, that record. It really is lyrically like and just the video, the fact that the video is just the words. And then there's the other one of him just in that vocal booth, completely understated, just singing. And he's, and there's so much stuff that's underrated. Like George Michael's voice is oh, outrageous, outrageous. Out like there's a there's a song, um, uh, a different corner, oh. a different corner. That his live versions of a different yeah. corner are better than better than the um, studio recordings. Yeah. Like there's stuff of him on online. I mean, and I always used to listen to uh, One More Try, which which he sings with a gospel choir. Mm. But, there are things that I still want to learn. Shot, I mean, it, that voice shouldn't belong yeah. to that man. But yeah. like, and and the ve- and I always think that's the amount of controversy that he faced in in his life, whether it was in romance and stuff. He only wrote about what he knew. Yeah. Um. And and but he never he never said to anybody, "This is about this. This is about yeah. this." And, you know, he left it for us all to all to find out and join the dots. And it's yeah. like, not until you. Adele slows down fast love that you go bloody hell this yeah. song like this is like you know there's there's more layers to this than an, than an onion you you know there's, there's more layers to it. Yeah, so many layers to the songs you've um you've mentioned your dad a couple of times already and and yeah. and, and music was was home a, a musical place growing up and, and where was home so home uh was liverpool um until my my when my parents split up we moved we moved to Warrington, um, and but yeah, always my dad, his his dad was you know the the crooner, the Sinatra fan, um, but just yeah, as you know, and as everybody knows, Liverpool is you know on a, on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There's there's music everywhere. Yeah, uh, and in our house was yeah, it was it was um, it was a very musical house no 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 massive sit- i mean my dad loves karaoke and my mom loves karaoke um, but that's as that's as musical as they get yeah. and whereas my granddad I, you know he was yeah i think he had sort of weekend aspirations of being a, of being a sinatra sort of yeah. thing about, um, yeah it's a very musical house very very musical house just before we move on to track 3 if i was to say to you if you had to pinpoint the emotion that that George Michael record gave you or still gives you, what would the emotion be? Injustice. Good answer. Injustice. Yeah. Injustice. Yeah. Yeah. Let's stay in the formative years for track three. I'm going to ask you to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please, mate. Partly, partly because it came out when I was at school, and partly because it just reminds me of being at school. And it's uh, "Bigger Boys and Stolen Sweethearts" by the Arctic Monkeys. What I a think it's absolutely genius, yeah. and, and and it was genius back then. But now, when I think back, and I go, "God," again, it's the it's another emotion. Maybe I felt a lot of injustice as a yeah. teenager, but um, but the you know the. The, the girls you always liked were getting with the older boys and going round to the going round in the school stuff and you know whacking English English and science to go in the car yeah so is that was that was a that's the track that yeah, yeah. I, I think Alex Turner at that point lyrically just was was just on a place where no one else was at that point I think he just nailed social commentary so well. Completely, and it's and it's again. It's when when um, when I was thinking of these, when I was thinking of these tracks, I was thinking, isn't it mad that we? I say the Arctic Monkeys, the Arctic Monkeys to you, and and that name is synonymous. Like have majority of people who like music know the Arctic Monkeys, and to think of an Arctic, what is an Arctic Monkey? You know, yeah. I don't. What's the meaning behind that? But it's it's a band name that is synonymous now yeah. with. With quality writing, with um, very a variety of music like there. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Late bloomers tend to have more curiosity. They tend to have more resilience. There are stories and mythology that this country has woven around black men. What if everything we've been taught is just all wrong? What's worth more than this fear right now? And that rising after failure is part of the glory of being a human being. Listen to deeply personal, insightful, and thought-provoking stories from the world's leading thinkers and doers. Listen and subscribe to The Unmistakable Creative wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. They're a really, he's a real, real great songwriter and he's managed to adapt from being a, a, a teen himself an 18 year old to now his age whatever age he is now he's still writing quality music yeah you know? yeah it's been mad to watch their journey like from being yeah. you know like one of the little scallies you'd see down the working men's club you know being a nuisance to like a legit super cool rock and roll star now it's uh it's, it's, it's marvellous to see their, 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 their growth. Um, tell me a little bit about, about school. How was it? Did you enjoy it? I, yeah, I did. I, I was, it was very... Um, the transition from sport into acting was probably my, my sort of thing that I look back on a lot in, in, at school, like kind of one minute being a deluded footballer thinking he was good enough to make it and then the next minute and playing Fagan in a play and then literally seven months later I'm at drama school like 17 at drama school like that 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 sort of flippancy of comparing acting to football I do it a lot that's my formative years at school really like that's what I think of like oh my god like you know some really inspiring teachers that made me audition for drama school um but yeah the transition of the sport because it was friends as well it was like you know the sport friends the the guys who you played football with and some of them went on to carry on and play professional football and they were my crowd and then to swap that for the sort of arctic monkey listening you know science yeah science and art artistic people that that was like a huge transition from 15 16 to yeah, to go into drama school. Did you feel imposter syndrome at that point? Uh, when I went to drama school? Well, yeah, when you found yourself not surrounded by a kind of sporty crowd, which you'd, I guess from what you said, like, you know, you said deluded ambitions, but, yeah. you know, like, don't, you're in good company, Andrew. The amount of people <laughs> that have been on this podcast that are musicians, actors, DJs, yeah. said, yeah, I just wanted to be a footballer. And then when I got to X a man and I realised, there, that's not going to happen. I was like, right, what's next? <laughs> I, I mean, it, it's true. And I think, that, and that's why I constantly, with a lot of actors, we sort of compare, we make comparisons with football and being on the pitch and how the best footballers in the world are still in the park with their mates. And, and that's similar with acting. I feel like to be an actor fundamentally or to be any type of performer, there's a childlike element to it and, and, and the imagination. And if you lose your imagination, that's kind of all we've got, right? Yeah. So, so I I constantly sort of draw comparisons between for my best games I played as a, as a footballer. I didn't care who was watching me. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't give it two hoots who was who was on the sideline. And that's the same with acting as well. My best my best performances is where I'm totally immersed in what's moment to moment what happening what's happening. Just tell me about those 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 initial sort of months of 
of, of sort of transitioning from sort of wanting to be involved in sport and then having somebody telling you, "No, hang on, you're really good at this," yeah. and like and a completely different crowd. Like, you know, how, how was that to sort of did you know trying to kind of sort of make make new friends and kind of you know find find your way in a completely new industry? Yeah, um, I mean, initially, I think initially at school it was. It was more those people who I was, who I, who I then became friends with, the sort of artistic crowd who were like, found it a bit strange seeing me do it. But they were, I mean, they were quite, they were quite forthcoming with me coming in. I think, you know, uh, I've always, no matter what, I'm, you know, I'm prone to making a complete fool out of myself, and always will be. Like I don't, you know, I don't, I don't carry too much pride around like I'm all always willing to take the sort of lower status in a room um but the, the, I think the most the biggest transition was definitely like being 17 at drama school because I think I didn't really take it seriously until I got in and then I didn't realize actually there's so much to acting there's so much to what what it is there's so many practitioners to, you know I always thought I'd sing, act, and maybe do a little bit of dancing. Then I'll just go to drama school and polish up on some acting. I didn't realise what it entailed. I didn't know what a sonnet was, a William Shakespeare sonnet. I remember turning up with just a speech, and that was probably the biggest point in my life where I was like, okay, I'm either going to sink or swim here. Um, and, and, you know... I went back home that Christmas and crossed my legs for the first time in front of my brothers watching the football and everybody's like, bloody hell, who's this kid wearing a, wearing a scarf and reciting Shakespeare? <laughs> so it went all right. It went all right, Stuart. It went all right. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I mean, one of the other comparisons I'll, I'll, I'll make between professional football and acting uh, is the level of how competitive an industry is, how there's knocks in both industries and with that in mind how com- how confident are you as a person um inconsistently confident okay I'm, I'm weirdly more confident at the moments where i should be insecure and then sometimes a rainy tuesday can just break me you know um in a sense break my confidence um so I think I think yeah, inconsistently confident. Um, I'd say if that makes any sense. Total sense, mate. Total, yeah, total sense. sense. Like yeah, like I, I almost prefer in life. When I'm, I'm, I think I'm quite good at the rejection side. I am. I think I am. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing it. I would, and in and in life. Being, I'm an Everton fan, but that's my team, Everton, and I think they've helped with that. Definitely, re- the rejection and the failure, um, and I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by failure because ultimately, I'm, again, going back to his, uh, going back to school, I had an amazing history teacher who helped me with some of the acting, um, and his word was to me when I left school. He said, "Good luck at drama school, Andrew. I hope you succeed." But then again, who is seed? And it really confused me and baffled me for years. Who is Seed? I hope you succeed. And I was like, what's he mean? But I, I spoke to him years later, and he was basically saying that the only thing we feel as humans is failure. That's all. We, we don't feel success. Success is something we put on other people, right? Success is totally what we put on other people. Um, and And that's where I think I find comfort in the sense that I – Failure is a universal feeling, and what we do in acting is universal. Like, I go into a room and I present an idea, or I go into a studio and do some music and I present the music, and not everybody's going to be into it. And I find some solace in that. Um, But I actually also find some motivation in the sense that my biggest kick sometimes is to make them want to, (laughs) is to make them like it. You know, that's that's I love that. It's like, you might not like me now, but your kids are going to love it, you know? <laughs> the, the Marty McFly say. Absolutely. Yeah. You might not like it, but your kids are going to love it. That, uh, that's, um, so, yeah, that's in answer to your question. That's where my inconsistence of confidence comes about because it can be the weirdest thing sometimes that knocks sure. me. Yeah. Okay. Tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. Oh, 
So it was I Wouldn't Believe Your Wireless Radio by Stereophonic. Um, and it was also the first band I saw live at Old Traffic Cricket Ground um, with Richard Ashcroft. And I was like, this guy, again, sucker for a, a, a lead vocal. I think Kelly Jones's lead vocals and Stereophonics, I think he's, an, he's a genius, uh, like, beautiful voice. Um, and those first albums were, I think, some of their best work. Um, and, yeah, that, that was just one of those. I couldn't afford the album. Couldn't afford um, A Thousand Trees. But mm-hmm. the single, I wouldn't believe your uh, wireless radio, that was, like, pound fifty in a basket. So I bought that. Yeah. And that was the first thing I bought. I um I got to see them last weekend. Um, Did you? They, I, I'm, I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, the band Pearl Jam, and uh, yes. and and they were supporting Pearl Jam alongside Johnny Marr at, um, at Hyde Park, and uh, and and it's really weird. Cause cast like going back to that first record, like my band played some shows with the Stereophonics in the very early day because they they toured so hard when they first came out, because I think that they were, they were a new signing to this new label that Richard Branson had set up called V2. Um, and I think their gigs had like 320 times in a year or so. And they, but if I remember rightly, the label was paying venues to put them on to okay. just to get this band out there and showcase how good like yeah. them, them, them tracks were. And, uh, and like, like you said, they're, they're earlier work. I kind of, lost interest after a little while with them but them first two records like you you mentioned thousand trees oh. and local boy in a photograph and traffic oh, like traffic like, traffic man, they're yeah. proper songs and and the, the track that you've chosen here he played on an acoustic on his own on saturday and i've got to be honest like when uh when it was announced that the uh, idols were no longer going to be supporting Pearl Jam. They're going to put the stereophonics on. I was like, oh. and uh, I tell you what, it was a beautiful sunny afternoon and they come out and they played half an hour of all of their hits. And it was like, holy shit, they've got a lot of hits. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah. and it was just tune after tune after tune. And like, and it was perfect sunny afternoon in a park music. And that track, the whole of Hyde Park was singing along to it, and it was it was beautiful. It's so it's it's, it's there's something quite quaint about that, and I'm so glad that was the first track I the, the first physical thing I ever yeah. bought because that is something so beautiful about. And it is the summer. I think it was summer yeah. when I bought it. Reminds me of the smell of cut grass, and you know, taking my school uniform off and taking a little booklet out and reading. Yeah. You know, first. I learned all the lyrics to because it was really easy. I yeah. think it's like three paragraphs. Um, but yeah, it's such, it's such a, a band that have had so again have been through generation after generation after generation and have survived. They were around the same time as Travis, weren't yeah. they? And, yeah. And, um, yeah, mad, mad number of hits, mad number of hits. So, I mean that that period of music, like sort of, almost sort of post Britpop, when you did get bands like Stereophonics, Travis, Radiohead, Embrace, all of these bands, Turing Breaks, they were all very sort of acoustic-driven bands, you know, um, maybe less so Radiohead a little bit. But um, when did you decide to, to pick up a guitar and, and, and start having a little a little plan, a sing-song? Yeah, well, I picked up the guitar and then realised that my... Norwegian mate Weber was much better on the guitar. <laughs> that softly that that that, that uh, established our friendship. When we he was one of the artistic people yeah. in I, I I moved towards at school. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah. So what was the point? Yeah, a kind of a similar time with the acting. Um. And then was in a was in a very piano based. I mean, coming on to early Coldplay, Embrace, yeah. as you mentioned, band, um, where everything, still the idea of being in a recording studio and, and recording a track was, was, you know, was big. Having a microphone like we're talking into now was, yeah. was, not, was not cheap, you know, yeah. and, and, and the whole process felt quite special. And we did, 
we did that a few times and won a four, uh, we, you know, I think our biggest thing was we won a competition that Chris Martin judged to play at the MTV Awards and it felt on a scale of Liverpool, Manchester, Warrington and the Northwest, we felt quite like, oh, something could, you know, could happen here because every sort of band would bring out a hit and it felt like, a, you know, a lot of, a lot of mutual friends of mine in Liverpool had, um, had uh, you know, released tracks and, um, and and done quite well from it and had it played on the radio and stuff. So we we felt like those bands that had come before, the Kooks and stuff as well, you could you could write a couple of good hit songs yeah. and, you know, something could happen. And then I just ruined it for everybody by getting into drama school. And then my principal was like, hey, you can't act and sing. You need to choose one and that... And that literally, who was it? I, I stopped gigging. The band split. Few of our, few of them had kids, um, and I lived this kind of nomadic lifestyle as an actor. Um, and they're still, I'm still close friends with all of them now. Obviously, Webbo, I'm writing with again now. Um, but yeah, Mike and and Ali and and our drummer Todd. Uh, they're all still close mates, and and it's it such is a. That, magic- is that to your face, behind your back? Are they like we could have been bigger than the Beatles, but no, he wanted to go and swan around and be an actor. <laughs> <laughs> <The> selfish, selfish <laughs> arsehole. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's uh, yeah, behind my back. Yeah, they, <laughs> they still haven't seen. They don't watch anything I'm in. Excuse, well, they're not going to, are they? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful. <clears throat> All right, for track five, mate, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing. Oh, yeah. So I didn't used to go to the clubs that I wanted to go to. We we used to go to clubs that would be full of people that we wanted to, you know, wanted to see. So this song, uh, What Goes Around Comes Around, Justin Timberlake. When I first heard that song, I hated it. But then it became a repeated track that me and my mates would play. And we actually grew to love it a lot. We used to go and get our Christmas shopping in. And we'd always, and that even now when it comes on, we'll always play this track. What goes around comes back around. Again, Stu, another song about injustice. Yeah. Heartbroken Justin Timberlake. I think he wrote it about somebody quite profound. I think it's a tune. and It yeah. sounds great in a club. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, oh, he's a talent. Probably, yeah, he is, isn't he? He really is. So did you enjoy clubbing? Yeah. I enjoyed it. Like, I had good nights. I, I prefer a rock bar but we didn't used to go to rock bars. I, I prefer like a, you know, a, an old fashioned pub with a band upstairs. Yeah. But we never used to do them. You know, I'm a few of my mates like to be sort of trendy and go into a club and just dance with your hands like this, yeah. and, you know, or, you know, cardboard box. And, and it was more about for a lot of them, like chirpsing up some girls and, yeah. and and you know, oh, shout out chirps. Good. First time that's been used on this podcast. Four hundred <laughs> episodes. That's the first time the word chirps has been used. Bloody hell! Yeah, it was a it was a a time where actually I felt like 
me and my mates were trying to peacock a little bit as opposed to actually having a good night, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but the best nights we did have was when we went the rock bars or there was this club in Warrington called Sassy's. Um, and I used to love it and my mates hated it, but it was proper rock and roll bar. Yeah. Sweaty, you know, uh, everything dirt cheap. Everybody would go in and you wouldn't leave that bar because you wouldn't have to. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, that we, we ended up going to a lot of places, which were sort of like R and B, um, R and B, which, you know, I like, I like the odd R and B track here and there, but yeah, it was, uh, it was more like we were presenting, presenting ourselves yeah. to the, uh, to the opposite sex, you know? You can't beat a night in a sweaty rock and roll bar, right? You really can't. You really can't. So, have you found, have you found clubbing uh, now you're based down, down in, uh, in uh, London? Oh, I mean, non-existent, I'm going to say at the moment. Uh, the initial transition was, oh, I was like a kid in a, in a sweet shop. It was, it was incredible. How I mean, long have you been in London now? 12 years. All oh, right. 12, yeah, 12 years. So we, we moved in our final year of drama school. I went to drama school in Oxford. And then they kind of help you with the move and, you know, don't pay your council tax, but they help you with the Shame move. Yeah. <laughs> that was a surprise, mate. That was a surprise. Um, yeah, so we're in um, E17 now, Walthamstow. And it's, again, the same thing. is like you've got so much choice yeah. in London. I mean, you're, are you, you're from London, right? You're from... I'm a little yeah. bit further, further out. I'm in Essex. Essex, yeah. But, I mean, you would never... I feel like for a lot of people who were born in and around London, the fact I'm from Liverpool, I, I can imagine myself potentially living in other places, but I've got a lot of people who were born and bred in London or all round about that they wouldn't, a lot of them won't move because you've got everything. You've got the clubs, you've got the, you know, you've got the, you've got it all basically. Yeah. The national galleries, the, the theatres, the, there's so much here. I, I Yeah. One of the things that w- was the actual reason I set this podcast up was that that, that kind of fascination for and, and we mentioned earlier Scroobius Pip before we press record and you know he's a, he's a fellow Essex boy and and I set this podcast up just for hearing him on an interview being asked like oh you live in London he's like nah and he was like why not like don't, don't, you're a musician like why yeah. have you not moved to London and he's yeah. like well I'll, I'll just quite like Essex and it's like yeah. did you feel you know, being in Warrington, did you feel that to to achieve the success that you wanted, you had to relocate to London? Completely. Yeah, completely. And still, to go back to how we started this chat, still with COVID, is the first time in my life I thought to myself, do we have to be here? Yeah. There's a sort of expectation of, you know, we've been flirting with moving up to Scotland again. I was on a job up in Scotland for four years of my life and I'm, I'm in love with Glasgow. I think it's one of the best cities. Oh, that's in, amazing. Yeah. I, I think um, it reminds me of Liverpool, but without the memories and, um, and um, yeah, I, th- I to go back to your question. Yeah. I, it was an expectation of you're an actor, you're a musician, you go to London, uh, Dick Whittington streets are paved with gold, you know, go and find your fortune. Let us um, know where them streets are. Cause I've been looking for 48 fucking years and I ain't found them yet. <laughs> It's <laughs> not, not on Google Maps, is it? <laughs> I think the uh, Conservative Party are keeping that street to themselves. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the street, bloody Downing Street. That's where it's bloody paved with gold. <laughs> How did Dick Whittington get onto Downing Street? <laughs> Jump the gate. All right. Well, look, I'm going to take you home for track six. Um, if you can, please, Andrew, tell me a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please. Yeah. So specifically because it's a George Harrison track and I've been saving this one, um, it's the Beatles and it's While My Guitar Gently Weeps. Oh, yes, please. Yeah. I mean, what a track. What a... Yeah. I mean, every time I just listen to it, could listen to it every day. Um and the fact that he sat on his musical ability for years, I love that. And not not his musical ability, his musical songwriting for years. He didn't, you know, he he didn't write early on. He was sort of um, overshadowed by the Lennon and McCartney uh, duo of yeah. McCartney Lennon tracks, which were 
you know, incredible. Obviously, I could pick so many of them. But, um, yeah, this specific song, there's the, the, the repetition of I look at the world and I, I notice it's turning. Yeah. I look at the floor and I, I see it needs sweeping. And then the very last moment of this song, and I just think it's so dramatic, he goes, I look at you all and it's quiet. And every time in my head, I think, what the what did, what was he thinking at that point? Yeah, what was George going to say? Because he's purposely not mentioned the next yeah. <clears throat> left space, and that's it. Makes me think of the best literature. It makes me think of the best films. It's like pure yeah. genius. That last part when the band's kicking in and this, just before the solo, like yeah, I think it's I think it's one of the best songs ever written, personal. I'm going to throw this out as well. I think he's the coolest Beatle. Oh, I'm with you. I'm with you, mate. He always looked fucking so cool. (laughs) So cool. So cool. The best friends, like Clapton, you know, uh, wrote some of the most sort of chilled out best songs for the Beatles. Um, Did Did he write Fall on the Hill? He wrote Fall on the Hill. Yeah, he did. And he wrote uh, Something. Yeah, of course. Yeah. You know, here comes the sun. Yeah, it's uh, mad, isn't it? That you think he wrote all of them songs, yet wasn't even the the main songwriter in a band. That just also cements just how insanely ridiculous what Lennon and McCartney were doing. And like, to go to go up against them, to yeah, go to stand on your own because that's what it was yeah. just a Harrison song. Yeah, stand on your own and go look. I mean, it, you know, it, it took a long time, and everybody says, "Well, it's natural." osmosis isn't it he was in the studio with them for that long of course it's going to rub off but to still be like look i've got this track and i think if you i'd love to speak to mccartney about that in the sense of like because i think i think there's a part of him because it was always john and him to 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 actually hear a george song i bet he sort of loves them a bit more because he wasn't involved yeah you know he wasn't involved and I think, and and his be- some of his bass parts in the in in those tracks are amazing because yeah. he got to look at it purely as a bassist. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Something. Yeah. Oh, what oh. a record! Uh, have you watched Get Back yet? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I was so lucky. A friend of mine got us a ticket. Uh, Barney Douglas, who's doing amazing director of uh, the McEnroe documentary, which is out now, which again has Felix White doing the music. If anybody's in the cinemas right now, go and watch that because the music in that stew is incredible by Felix White. Oh, um, he's he's oh. he's he's a mate, and uh, oh. like he's uh, I've not seen him for a while, but I've seen only this week that Fee, Hugo, and Will, the other yes. brother, have yeah. got have got their new band. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, yeah, they, 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 uh, Barney was Barney was at that. Um, that gig the other night, he was at the gig, said it was incredible. I can't wait to hear it because they've named it after um, a 86 TVs. It's uh, a song by, oh God, oh, John Bramwell. What's his bloody band called? Um, oh God. Uh, John Bramwell, uh, not I Am Clute. I Am no? Clute, yeah. So they've, they've, they've named the band after an I Am Clute song. And I knew that Hugo was a crazy big fan of. Uh, I, I mean, to, I am the biggest I am Clute Oh, really? Like, in in the world. But yeah, like incredible. P- yeah, John Bramwell, Pete Jobson as well has been so nice with our music. He's he's uh he's been so supportive with the, with with uh with our EPs. Absolute geniuses that I mean again another person who who you just want to get inside John Bramwell's head, don't you? You know like what a, what a lyricist. And doesn't get the credit I think he deserves. Like I stumbled across them. I went to a gig in Harlow one night, uh, and this band come out, this three piece, and this guy stood at the front with his front foot on a milk crate, and he played this song called Twist. And I remember just hearing "There's Blood on Your Legs," and I was like fucking hell what is this and like and i bought it like the cd off of them on the night and i've still got it somewhere signed by them and i was like i need to find out more about this band i remember getting in the car and singing morning rain on the way home just going i've seen this band once and their songs are stuck in my head like oh wonderful 
Wonderful. I, I had no idea that 86 TV was about uh, was about Clute, though. That's mad. Yeah, Clute is... Uh, 86 TV is, I think, is either the hidden track or the last track on the debut album. And, uh, and yeah, I messaged Hugo literally yesterday just going, cool name, man. Like... <laughs> all right okay last track mate and this is when you get to be a tastemaker and introduce people to something you think they might not know so for track seven uh please tell me a song that you think many may not know that you would like them to hear yeah i mean so basically uh this is a jamie cullen track but it's a cover of radiohead's high and dry and it's a live version of it uh, at the South Bank show, and it's at the end of his 20-something album, which was something I learned to sing, I guess, or whatever, whether people say I can sing or not, but I started singing, listening to jazz, like the Sinatras, and, and I was so close to putting a track in, like, you know, Stardust by Knack and Cole or Summer Wind by Sinatra, and actually one of my, yeah, guilty pleasures, I guess, as a... As a, a, a teenager was the 20 something album by jamie cullen which i think's got some cracking tracks on it but this is just i think it's one of my favorite tracks it's a cover of one of my favorite bands and i think he really takes the song somewhere special really special um it's live the piano solo is insane yeah um and and it's it's brilliant and i think he's very underrated as well i think he's a very underrated artist um and I couldn't not choose it. I kept thinking, oh, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to choose something else. But no, it's that that high and dry Jamie Cullum at the South Bank show is yeah, a cracking track. Wonderful. Well, we put together a Spotify playlist so people can go and oh. uh, check that out. And as well as that, all of the other songs that you, you've chosen and we've chatted about today. Um, as we start to wrap it up and, and, and we're seeing 2022, you know, racing past us now, what's... What are you looking forward to from the rest of the year, personally, and what's going to be happening professionally? Yeah, um, so I've, so the release, as we touched on here, during COVID, started writing the music again and then was very lucky to cross paths on a film with uh, Craig Potter from Elbow, um, who, again, I mean, could have very easily been in any of the categories of, of, of these songs. And... Um, and he caught wind of mine and uh, Webbo, my Norwegian postman pal, uh, who I used to write music with back in the day in our in our bands. He caught wind of our tracks um, under this uh, name Gustafsson. That's what we use as a home for our writing. Where did that uh, name come from? That came from my Swedish grandmother when she came to Liverpool. Her maiden name was Gustafsson. I never quite fancied doing the whole Dave Matthews band at the Andy Gower band or, you know, <laughs> or... I was tempted to call it Webbo. Um, but, um, but yeah, it's just a, that sort of added trip to Sweden and we researched her life a little bit and that name's always stuck with me. And then one of our songs we've actually written, which didn't make the EP, was called Some Kind of Sweden. Um, so Gustafsson Stock, uh, that's her maiden name. And, uh, yeah, and Craig Potter caught wind of the music and we recorded a four-track EP with him at the Blueprint Studios up in Manchester, and that's out on the 19th of August. Uh, And then we have a, it's called the Jacaranda, which is named after the Jacaranda Club in Liverpool, the first place the Beatles ever played, um, ever as a band. Um, And we're having a launch party there on the 20th of July, and it's yeah, and it's yeah. I'm so I'm so bloody excited by that, Stu. I mean, there's acting work that I'm on at the moment. My head is like, you know, I feel like a kid when I'm when I'm you know when I'm with the band and yeah. when those three weeks with Craig in the studio was three of the best weeks like I've had for a long time. And that all came from the COVID from COVID. Basically, sure. it all came from it was thinking, what are we going to do? What yeah. do we want to leave behind? What you know. Yeah, so it's been it's a really, really, really exciting uh, end to this year and looking forward to everybody here in the EP. Oh, that's wonderful. And if people want to hear the EP and find out more about uh, what both yourself and, and Gustafsson are up to, where's the best place to kind of keep up to speed? 
Yeah, so we're on uh, all the socials at Gustafsson Music on Instagram, and then we're www.gustafssonmusic.co.uk, and then the Gustafsons on Twitter. So, yeah, we've got a we've got a nice, hardworking social team who are, who are doing as much as they can there. So, yeah, if you if you have a listen, definitely drop us a drop us a line. Lovely. Well, if it's all right with you, I'll, I'll, I'll take you all in it when this episode comes out, so uh, so people can find it nice and easy if they haven't already. Absolutely, mate. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about music. Oh, really mate, up. it's been the, the, the pleasure is all mine. It's been an absolute joy. Thank you so much, Andrew. There you go. Ah, oh, what a smashy man. Uh, lovely chat that, and uh, I hope you got even if you got a fraction of the enjoyment listening to that as I did having that chat you're in a good place because uh, I've just finished this this recording I'm, I'm, I'm recording the intro and outro straight after and I've still got a big smile on my face um, I, honestly I know I say this a lot but I feel really blessed because it's so nice to get to have these chats with these people because you know they're, they're, they're busy people and you know they're always off on tour or on set and you know the fact that Andrew is, is doing both uh, you know writing and playing and, and, and acting as well uh, and to still find time to to chat to this lispy Essex bloke who's who's sitting in his shed like uh, makes me really happy and and the fact that once I sort of throw these episodes into the the world wide web you know you still get these lovely little messages coming back from people all over the bloody place just going I really enjoyed that like what a nice guy that was or yeah I've just gone and explored her music after hearing uh, you know her chat on your podcast or you know it's it it makes me really happy and uh, so yeah just another huge thanks really to to you lot and another big thanks to Andrew for for coming on right I think I'm done. I'll be back next time. As mentioned at the beginning, go check out the back catalogue. Hundreds and hundreds of episodes with all your favourite actors, DJs, producers, comedians. Oh, go get stuck in. I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Give me Stu Whipping. Eat a